it, it was actually agonizing to think about how to preach today. I, I tried to calculate how many sermons I've preached here, and in my early years, there, were, there was a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service, because I pastored the church for 28 years, been here for 29. And so I figure I've preached about 1,400 sermons here at this church. That's a lot of messages. I went actually through probably three or 400 of them in the last few weeks. I was cleaning up my office, thinking about, Lord, what is most appropriate? And then I read through vast amounts of scripture over the last six weeks, thinking, Lord, what should I say on this last day? And I landed on a passage, Philippians 1, verses 3 to 14. You could turn to it if you want. It should be on the screens as well. Philippians 1, 3 to 14. And I have some other colleagues of mine that are transitioning from their churches to do ministries. And as they met with me some here, some other places, asking about what I was preaching on, I told them, and they're all preaching on the same text. So if you go to other sites and hear this passage preached, Lord led it to me first. I just want to be clear on that. Um, and, uh, and so Philippians 1, 3 to 14. And why this passage? I, two things have been true of us in the time God has allowed me to be here. We wanted to glorify God by fellowshipping with each other and by sharing the faith God has granted us with others around us. Those are two things that we've tried to hold in tandem, in tension, if you will, over the years that I've been here. Many churches try to do one or the other. They're either an evangelistic church that tries to reach a number of people around them, or they're a church that centers around fellowship and growing together in their faith. And we've longed to try to grow together in our faith and share the faith that God has granted us with those around us, with those he entrusts us to. Word of God says this, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or I am defending and confirming the gospel... All of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may discern, be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is the word of the Lord. When we went through the book of Acts, we found that Paul entered into Philippi, likely with Timothy. We know Silas is there. And Luke, because that's one of the passages where we see we mentioned. And so likely Luke is there. It's the Sabbath, and there's not enough Jews in Philippi to gather in a synagogue. There's no synagogue meeting where Paul would normally go to talk about the faith. And so Paul gathers with people at the place of prayer near the river. He goes and looks for where a group will be praying because the believers could gather at a place of prayer, Jewish believers, at that time when there was no synagogue. 
When he gets there, he begins to explain who Jesus is. Likely, I said when we went through Acts, I think Paul would often show up in his pharisaical robes, which is why he was invited to teach in places. They'd call him up to teach. And so Paul, likely in his pharisaical garb, is there at the riverside, and he begins to proclaim Jesus as Messiah. And there's a woman, Lydia, there. She's a woman of purple cloth, so she's a woman of wealth, a businesswoman. She comes to faith in Christ, and then her household does. They're baptized. It says that once when they were going to the place of prayer, just a few verses later, so that means we don't know how long they were in Philippi. Three weeks? Three months? Probably not two or three years, but a period of time. On there were there, a slave girl who was demonized began to call out, telling people that these people were going to tell them about Jesus and how they could be saved. Paul, knowing that people knew she was demonized and she could tell the future and her owners made money off her, freed her from the demon. The slave owners are furious. They have Paul and Silas incarcerated. They're put into jail. And as they're there in jail, at midnight, they're singing and praying. A large earthquake happens. The prison doors are shattered. And no one escapes. But... The jailer comes, believing he should end his life, thinking that all have escaped when they cry out, no, we're all here. And what does he say? What do I need to do to be saved? Probably hearing the testimony of the work of God in lives, hearing Paul and Silas and maybe others singing in there uh, in prison, knowing that this is incredibly unique because most of the people in prison aren't very happy to be there. I've never been in jail except to visit people. I've been locked down a couple of times where they're there longer than you anticipate, especially when I went years ago to teach the young offenders. And I remember when I'd, I'd go in, I'd teach the young offenders. And this is a long time ago, man, like 28 years ago. And um, I did it for about three years. And I'd go in, and eventually the Ontario government gave the youth credit for taking these courses I was teaching on the Bible. So all the young offenders would come in the room with me. And they'd all explain to me why they didn't deserve to be there. I mean, somebody was like, I only tried to kill someone. I'm like, yeah. You should be here. And then one day, the guards come to me and say, we're going to send in guards with you. And I say, that's fine, because I know why. Are you worried about the content of my teaching? They said, no, we're worried they're going to take you hostage, and we'll have no recourse. I'm like, yeah, then you should come in. As many of you as want, you should come in. That's, that's not a problem. But they all were complaining about being there. All of the prisoners that were there were talking about the injustice of them being there. And Paul and Silas are singing and praying. They were there under a great injustice, and yet they're giving thanks to God. The jailer hears all of that, and in hearing all of that, he comes to faith in Christ. He and his household, and they're baptized. And then the next day, they stay in jail, Paul and Silas. They're released. They go to Lydia's house, spend some time in fellowship with the people that have come to faith in Christ, and they leave. And then Paul's now in prison in Rome under house arrest, and he writes this letter. And he says, every time I remember you, every time I remember you, I thank God. Every time I remember you, who's he remembering? The Philippian jailer, Lydia, their families, the slave girl. Every time I remember you, I thank God for you because my memories are filled with the work of God in your life. My memories are filled with what God has done, with how he's acted with the ways that he's worked. In all of my prayers for all of you, he says, I always pray with joy 
My heart is just filled with joy because I've seen God grip your life. And then he explains what that looks like. He says, we have a partnership in the gospel. From the first day you've been saved till now. Well, what's this partnership in the gospel? Well, it's a few things. He's thinking as he talks about his partnership in the gospel of the ways that God used it. I mean, Lydia hosting the church. The witness that they would have had. The things they would have done together. Discipleship that would have gone on. I mean, part, they were serving the Lord together. They also, you find this at the end of the book of Philippians, sent a gift to Paul in Rome. I mean, when you were in jail in those days, you were not cared for. People had to send you money and food or you would starve to death. That's how it worked. It still works like that in some parts of the world. There's no system that cares for you. And so Epaphroditus, who will take this letter back to the church in Philippi, who fell ill at some point, Epaphroditus brings a gift from the Philippian church. And Paul's saying, I thank God that you've not forgotten me. I have great joy when I think of our partnership for the work he's done in your life, for the way God has provided financially, and because of this, he says, I'm confident that the work that God began in you, he's going to carry on to completion. I'm confident that the things I've seen God do, I'm going to continue to see him do. That God will complete his good work. Over the past week and month, there's been a great deal of reflection. Paul and I were talking lately that Paul has been in ministry over 40 years, myself over 28, and as you think through your life, you think through different moments. And, and in these last few years, we've just seen God work miraculously. Like in ways that you just go, this is only the hand of the Lord. To provide a school for free, for free, from a school board, for a decade, rent-free. Instead of paying thirty-four or five or $6,000 a year, the school board just gave it to us for free because of our partnership with them. That's just the hand of the Lord. To provide a property that wasn't for sale. When we fasted and prayed for three months saying, Lord, Lord, we need a place. That's just the hand of the Lord. To when we literally had the building permits in hand to have a conversation with Jeff Devon, who's here today from Indwell and Graham Cubic, and us sitting maybe somewhere, I don't know where we were, here in a parking lot. It's not a parking lot anymore. It's a building. And we were talking all about the different properties around us that we didn't own. And they said, before we keep talking about the properties you don't own, we need to talk about the property you do own. And God leading us to do something and totally redeveloping it, delaying the process of us building so that we could house people in 45 apartments with us. Some of you worshiping with us today who live in those apartments. Housing people who are housed precariously. Watching the budget go up and every time it go up, watching God provide. I mean, as I leave here, we're going to have about a, 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 a mortgage of about $650,000 on a $22 million building. That is, that is simply the hand of the Lord. Nothing but God's hand. But it's not just that over the last few weeks we've celebrated so many baptisms of the work of God in people's lives. And I think a number of years ago when God provided close, we've been praying for years, eight years, God, would you raise up someone within the Karen church that we can, we can walk alongside of, that we can train, that we can, and then God raised up close. And as God raises up close and begins to work in the Karen community and we kind of figure out that they think they need to get baptized before they get married and a lot of them are living together. And then Ari comes and meets with me. Wants to marry his wife, but they're living together. They have a son, and I meet with them, and over a couple of meetings, I'm telling them, no, we, we cannot marry you or baptize you until you know Jesus. Through that process, come to faith in Christ. And then Samson, who's sitting here, and God working in his life and what that looks like. And then last Sunday, two more baptisms from that family. 
Tunay and Wilson were baptized. And Tunay, whose story I've shared a bit of, who ended up addicted to drugs, spiraled into that out of the suicide death of a friend, the black sheep of his family, unable to live there, living with his grandparents off and on, feeling ostracized by his family, God gripping his heart in the middle of God gripping his heart after his grandfather's death. He talks to his brother Samson as part of that because God's been at work in Samson's life. And then last Sunday, the father who thought of the son as the black sheep of the family played as Tune sang to the Lord. And that is just a hand of the Lord. That is just the work of God Almighty. And when you think of that and the way that God uses us in each other's lives, you can say, every time I think of you, I thank God. And my prayers are full of joy. I'm confident of this, that the work that God has begun, he will see through to completion. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. You know, there's nothing that will draw you closer to someone than partnership in the gospel, than serving together, than praying together, and partnership in the gospel. I mean, years ago, John Mahaffey, who's at West Highland, I, I, uh, John and I, I asked him if I could just sit under his mentorship for a while, learn from him. Right? He was at Morningstar at the time. They were about 1,200, maybe not quite that size when I first met him. And uh, 70 nations gathered to worship the Lord at that church. No one was doing that then. That was before any churches were doing this. And I'm like, I'm like or very few. I'm like, John, I just want to figure out what God's doing here. And and we became really good friends. And, and over the years, Paul and I, or John and I, like Paul and I with John, when we've hit some bumps in spiritual warfare, I've called him and walked alongside of him and, and, uh, and watched John, God use John powerfully to see people freed from demonization. And it just welds your hearts together when you're serving the Lord together like that. When you're praying together like that. When you're asking God for what only God can do. When you're believing him for that. There's a partnership that's there that God grants. When we're dreaming about reaching this neighborhood, when we're praying for friends and family, when even this year a number of you are inviting them out to a Christmas dinner that we hosted and we're praying for them as they come and praying for them as they hear. And then later on when we hosted another dinner for people that we care for with coffees on and, and, and the hub and, and through um, the building here, our neighbors in North End Landing. And as, as we did that praying and praying that God would powerfully move and there's something that grants you a camaraderie together that allows you to know no word in this because of the grace of God. It's what he says right there, right? In verse seven. Whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. This is simply because of the gracious hand of the Lord. This is simply because of what God has done. This is simply because God is good. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he offers a prayer. And this is a model prayer. This is a prayer you can take and write down and pray for any of your believing friends. You could take this prayer and say, I'm going to pray for my brother and sister in Christ in this. Whether they're part of James North or another congregation. That your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge. Knowing how God would have you live and what God would have you do. Depth of insight. That's the aha moment. That's the moment when you're trying to figure something out and all of a sudden experientially you get it. That's the moment when you're working on it. I remember this when I was working on a barbecue. I mean, we bought this 15 years ago and a young man, Caleb Friesen, John Friesen's son and I, 
we're working on this barbecue. And I remember when I bought it from Goman's and they said, it's easy to assemble. I said, sure. And I remember getting it. I'm not exaggerating, right? And I open up the, the thing. Now they count everything. A washer is a part and it says one of 700 parts. I'm like, what? And all these parts are, it's a, it's a barbecue, are everywhere, everywhere. And we put some stuff together at the end. I remember there was a couple of pieces left over and Caleb said, what do we do with them? I say, we hide them. We hide them, and we turn it on and hope for the best. And I'll never forget, when we turned it on, we got the paint tape, we turned it on, I lit it. He's standing on the other side of my yard. I'm like, what's going on? He's maybe 17. He said, I don't know, there are parts left over, and I want to live a lot longer. Right? But it worked. But there was this kind of, as we were working through things, and you couldn't figure something out, and you were YouTubing it, and look, at, there was this aha moment where you realized, oh, that's where that piece fits. Oh, that's where that piece goes. Oh, that's how this works. And you experience it. And that's what Paul's saying. He wants your knowledge to grow in how you should live and what you should do. And depth of insight in these aha moments where you go, ah, I've just experienced God's grace. You heard that in the baptisms this morning. Where in these experiences that God granted each of them, they knew the Lord is here. The Lord is with me. The Lord has saved me. The Lord has spoken. God's got this. So that we could become pure and blameless until the day of Christ or for the day of Christ. Note how this happens. It's filled, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants us to grow in our faith in Christ. He wants us to become more like Jesus, pure and blameless. That's none of us, right? I still sin regularly. None of us are pure and blameless, but he says, keep striving. Keep pushing. God's not done with you yet. The work he started, he's going to see through to fruition. Keep moving forward in your faith and know this, that one day when I see Jesus, and maybe I'm only 67% like Jesus, and God lets me in. Why? Because Jesus will make me 100% like him in that moment. Because his blood will completely cover me from my sin because my faith and hope are in him, not in me. Not on what I could do, not on what I could accomplish, but the Lord himself. Now note what he wants you to be able to do with this knowledge and depth of insight. He wants you to be able to discern what is best. You see, we often can discern between what is good and bad, but it is a work of the Spirit of God to enable us to discern between what is good and what is best. Most of us can discern between what is good and bad, but discerning between what is good and what is best is much harder. It's much harder. I mean, you're serving with the men's ministry or the women's ministry, and you're asked to lead a community group, which is best. They're both good, aren't they? You're serving in kids' zone, and now you're asked to serve in a different capacity, which is best. You've been volunteering at the hub or coffee's on at the church, and yet you've been having these gospel-centered conversations with your neighbors and friends. You think you want to start a Bible study with some of them in your home, and you're torn because you love the work God's doing through you at the hub or coffee's on, and yet you see the work God's doing through you in your neighborhood, and you're praying through what's best. And that's one of the prayers we need to be praying for each other. What's best? Discerning what's best. You're going to one church, and it's a great church, and you're learning and growing, and yet there's this other church that you feel you could maybe pitch in and help and, and offer some type of service to, and you're like, what, what's best? What's best? And it's hard, and that's why it's an issue of discernment. You begin to pray to the Spirit. God, grant me knowledge and depth of insight so I can discern what's best. Because most of us know when we choose evil that it's evil. 
But discerning what's best becomes something in the Christian life you need the Spirit of God to really walk with you, friends to really come alongside of you. And this is Paul's prayer. It's a great prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so you can discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, for the day of Christ, sorry, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then I just take a couple of minutes on the last few verses here. And he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Well, what's he talking about? What's happened to him? He's in jail. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. He's in jail for having declared Christ. He's in jail for having told people about Jesus. How has that served to advance the gospel? Well, he tells you two ways. You see, you put someone in jail to stop them from doing what they're doing. If they're dealing drugs, it stops them from dealing drugs, unless they smuggle them into jail. But that's what happens, right? They're robbing banks. You put them in jail to stop them from robbing banks. And it's also meant to be a deterrent so other people don't do it. If you know that the punishment for whatever it is you're doing is jail, many of us are less likely to do it because we don't want to spend time in jail. And Paul says, as a result of his imprisonment, it's become clear, evident, through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He says, they put me in here to stop God. They put me in here believing that they could stop God. They could shut me up by putting me in prison. And then they chained a couple of soldiers to me that rotate every few hours. He said, what they didn't realize is all they gave me was a brand new audience. Instead of having a pity party, instead of being upset, instead of like, woe is me, I'm in jail from, you know, preaching the gospel. He's like, all right, Lord, I want the gospel to get all the way to Caesar's household. This has got to be the means through the palace guards. And so he begins to share the gospel through the palace guards. He begins to tell them about the hope he has in Christ. He begins to explain to them about who God is. And they see the glory of God in that. And we know some of them come to faith in Christ. How do we know that? At the end of the book of Philippians, what is part of the greeting? As part of the greeting, he says, Paul says, all of God's people send their greeting, especially those in Caesar's household. The gospel in Rome that Paul was longing to get all the way to the Caesar's household made its way there, not because Paul got to preach to Caesar directly yet, but because in his imprisonment, as he was sharing the gospel with the soldiers that were there with them, some of them gave their lives to Christ. God saved them, and the gospel began to permeate through the entire palace guard until it had reached Caesar's household itself. And some of the members of Caesar's household had been saved and come to faith in Christ because of the witness of a man who was shackled in chains. You can't stop God. Is that not good news? He is completely and utterly unstoppable. That is our God. And he's got you in his grip. He also says that most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to share their faith, proclaim it, the gospel, without fear. Because the second reason you put people in jail is to stop, discourage other people from doing what they're doing. And Paul says, my brothers and sisters have only seen this as an opportunity to take the gospel and declare it to our world. Let me close with a couple of thoughts. We live in a day that can feel incredibly dark, where you're known to be anti-intellectual for being Christian, Bigoted, all kinds of stuff. Jesus is the hope for this world. 
He is the hope for the world. And he is unstoppable. I don't know what he's going to do next here, but I know he's going to do good things because he's had this church in his grip from well before I ever got here. And he'll have this church in his grip long after I'm gone. I didn't bring God here. And he's not leaving when I go. He's the Lord of his church. And he's got it in his grip. And as I try to figure out what's next, I'm excited to think through some stuff. I mean, I was on the phone last week with the Gospel Coalition. I have the privilege of chairing it right now. We had 1.4 unique million hits of Canadians reading our content on the website. We're hoping that at the end of this year, it's over 2 million. And so we're strategizing as to how the Lord might do that. That would make it the most read Christian content online. And we're hoping that God will use that powerfully. I don't get paid for that. That's just volunteer. That's just fun. Right? So there's, there's somewhere I've got to figure out income. And then there's another group of us that have been meeting. And we've connected with the Keller organization, City to City. And we've now launched officially a City to City Canada. Again, no money involved with this. But in the next 15 years, a group of us all the way from Newfoundland to Vancouver, and we're praying about in the next 15 years, would the Lord plant 200 churches across our nation, vibrant churches? Would God just begin to work in saving communities everywhere? Again, it's just free. You just do that as a volunteer for fun. So somewhere in there, you're like, okay, Lord, where are you going to provide? I'm not sure yet. But I'll tell you this, even though this day is dark, I spend time with people all across our nation who are thinking about how the Lord might infuse his spirit in this nation in such a way that we would see our nation revived. And that's the prayer. God, would you do that? And so my prayer is that powerfully God would continue to use this church in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Neighbors, friends, family, this neighborhood. My prayer is that if you guys have me back for an anniversary service in a year or two and I come back and I get to preach, that I'll come back and some of you will be introducing me to friends who've come to faith in Christ and I'll see some of you talking to people who you didn't know today. And you'll be fellowshipping with people and you'll be like, man, this person, they're in my heart because we've journeyed together. We're serving at Coffees On together, the Hub together, we're reaching this neighborhood together. And as we've done so, we've been praying together and asking God to move together. There's just some things that God has cemented into our hearts and lives that I'll never experience playing hockey with someone or I'll never experience just doing some hobby with someone. This is a spiritual war that God has brought us into. And as we pray fervently, asking God for what only God can do and watch God do it, we realize we serve this unstoppable God who's able to do more than anything we can ask or imagine. And then I'm praying I'll meet people that will come up to me and say, I wasn't here when you were the pastor. When I'm neighbors of so-and-so, I'm friends with so-and-so. I've been coming to the hub or to Coffee's On. And through the conversations that were going on in the ministry of these people, God has saved me. And then they tell me about the person in the church that baptized them because they were most instrumental in their faith journey. And all I'll be able to think of, all Amy and I will be able to think of is something like this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. 
from the first day until now. And I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.